Coming up on today's show, the Browns finally get that elusive first victory in the Baker Mayfield era is upon us in Cleveland. Clay Matthews gets hit with another roughing the passer call. And is there anything we can do to stop this madness? Plus, Jimmy G might be done for the season. Andrew Luck still doesn't look right. And Dak Prescott might not be who we thought he was. Plus, we pick our studs of the week. All that and more on a jam-packed episode of the Tomahawk Show. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show presented by Uninterrupted. I am your humble as always co-host, Joe Thomas. With me, the less than humble Andrew Hawkins. Interact with the show by following us on social at Tomahawk Show on Twitter. And be sure to use the hashtag Tomahawk. That social media game has been fire. I am actually following that account, which is a big surprise because I'm Docker. pretty exclusive with the people that I like to follow. And they come up with some amazing stuff. And I know you throw your two cents in there every now and then. Uh, specifically, Thursday night was a big night for the Tomahawk Show Twitter account. It was. It was huge. We had a lot of shares, a lot of fire videos, memes, and hot takes, uh, specifically because the Browns won and because we are all in on that Tomahawk Show. My favorite was the Joel Batonio highlight tape. He had like the O-line dream where he got his hands on a ball and – the play didn't count at all, and it honestly, in the grand scheme of athleticism, wasn't that impressive. But I love Joel, and as <laughs> don't hate line, on Joel from an O line running the ball. <laughs> don't hate on Joel. That was, was a good move for an O lineman. I mean, he was he like Barry Sanders, O lineman. Yo, he wasn't out there doing like hawk footwork mixtapes, <laughs> but I mean, he's like three hundred and thirty pounds. What I, do you expect him? I would have appreciated it so much more if he would have put a foot in the ground and tried to reverse field. <laughs> oh, Regardless of what the awesome. outcome would have been, I mean, I you would have torn it. All the ligaments in his knee, but <laughs> no, if, for those of you that didn't watch the Thursday night game, I was working the uh, pre halftime and post game for NFL network. So you, you I was actually, it, by the way, Oh, thank you, man. You uh, I had a lot of fun. You know, I, I knew I was going to be green cause it was my first time doing it. But if I, I just wanted to try to be informative and just show the passion and energy that I have for NFL football and specifically the Browns. And obviously that was a pretty easy night to, bring the energy and bring the noise because the Browns won, as we all know. But I was standing on the sideline when Joel Batonio picked up that fumble and started rumbling, and I had a great look at it. And uh, Colleen Wolf, who was the uh, desk anchor for our pregame, halftime, and postgame from NFL Network, was happened to be doing like the secret videoing of me during that game and, and got me with a pretty sweet reaction yeah. of how excited I was for my boy Joel Batonio, who – was actually, I think, the guard that I played next to the most number of years oh, wow. during my career. So him and I, good buddies, uh, pretty excited for him. Somebody at the Tomahawk show made an amazing mixtape for him after yes. that was over. And it got retweeted all over the Twitter sphere, which was pretty sweet for us at Tomahawk show. And now I think we were actually over a million downloads uh, last week just because of that little social interaction you had. Amazing work, amazing work. We're probably going to win another Oscar. Did did you get any inter, any uh, feedback from Joel in the highlight tape? He loved it. Did Dude, he? He was. You know, Joel is is like an old school footballer, right? He's like Mister <sighs> Old School Grit, like toughness guy. And uh, so he didn't want to show how excited and appreciative he was. But <laughs> when I asked him about it, he was pretty pumped because old linemen don't get to touch the ball a lot, and there's not a lot for us to get excited about other than a win. See? And touch the ball and rumbling, stumbling down the field. 
bouncing people off him like they were bumper cars. It was awesome. <laughs> you know what? We didn't do it because he's an NFL player. We did it because he's a Tomahawk listener. That's true. And that's how we pour back into our fan base, just like that. But I think this is a perfect time to get into the game. Uh, that was on Thursday. The Browns in the 635-day drought mm. for a W, man. Like, uh, in the Hawkins household, dude, you would have thought we're in L.A. We're screaming. <laughs> Neighbors are, are P.O.'d. My son goes outside and just yells at the top of his lungs. He grabs a Bud Light, cracks it open. <laughs> it was, now I know you're lying. You it don't was have a any joyous beer. occasion, man. Joe, what were your what were your what were your thoughts on this game? There's a lot of there's a lot to man. unpack, including cool. possibly the start of the Baker Mayfield area. I'll just give you the ten thousand foot view real quick. Um, two years almost since the Browns had won a game. Uh, I was there for the last one. It was a really emotional one oh, of the most emotional games. Oh, were you there for the last one, Joe? I was. Let me you tell know you. Who else was there for the last one? Andrew Hawkins. Okay, yeah, we <laughs> were there for the last one, Joe. I had one catch for twenty-one yards, and I there think you go. I, was, I think I was the second leading receiver. Hey, classic receiver moment there for you folks at home. He remembers the stats from every single game. He can't remember the rushing yards no or even the final score, but he'll remember how many catches and yards he had. <laughs> All right, we were there, and it was an emotional game and uh, probably one of the most emotional games I've ever lived because it got us to that 1-14. in 14. It got us off the schneid <laughs> in, on Christmas Eve. And really – you know, when you lose in the NFL, it, there's few things in professional sports that can compare to the misery of just losing every week because people just pile on you and you yeah. start thinking about all the families that are going to be affected when people get fired and players get cut. It's just a bad, bad place to be around and it's so much drudgery. But Hugh Jackson was able to keep the team together, keep the team fighting, and we actually beat a much better San Diego Chargers team on Christmas Eve. And I remember walking into that locker room and uh, the emotion of a difficult season kind of just came to a head, and I grabbed Hugh, and we both started crying. And uh, it's one of those moments that um, you kind of will never forget for the rest of your life. And I think the Browns captured it on their Twitter or whatever. And so there's some video out there of me crying. So don't hold that against me yeah. for those that think I'm a tough guy because I'm really not. Yeah. But uh, this one was similarly emotional, and I actually got to hug you after the game. But uh, I didn't cry this time. I was <laughs> I was a little excited and teary eyed, but I didn't full on cry. How about you, Hawk? Well, the first the first thing that I remember about the last W that the Browns got, which was that Christmas Eve, was that I remember thinking like, oh, finally, Christmas isn't ruined. <laughs> like it was such a tough year, as, mm. specifically for the veterans who were like. You know, like you said, we were reading the you're going 0 and 16 headlines. And obviously, eventually you went on to capture that incredible feat. But I did that specific year. <laughs> I remember thinking like, oh, man, Christmas is going to be OK. We felt awesome the rest of the week. Oh, yeah. We lost the last two games, but it didn't yeah. hurt as bad as the first 14 <laughs> just because the, that monkey was off our back. And that same feeling was this week. And even though we weren't a part of the team, you feel like still so vested into like I don't know, the, the well-being of the organization and of the team. And it was all weekend, like, head held high. I walked into ESPN Studios this week like I was the man. It was cool hearing other people talk about how their team sucked this week. And I couldn't <laughs> participate because I'm like, I don't know if you've seen or not, but we came back from 14 for the dub. You ever seen Baker Mayfield? Kid's pretty good. You should check him out. <laughs> so it was, just, it, like I said, everything everything is just better when you win. Zerm. 
you're a lifelong Clevelander. You you were in Cleveland for this uh, heralded win that happened on Thursday night football. Tell me all about your night. Um, yeah, night was good. I was out in uh, in Ohio City, so near West Side, um, and it was the craziest thing about that game is I feel like there was this weird confidence everybody had. Like the Browns were only, the Browns were only three point favorites and we were walking around town like, yeah, they're about to get it. This is going to be a blowout. <laughs> like everybody was so confident. Um, and then the game started and the offense looked about as bad as it did for most of the season. And you're kind of just sitting there like, what is going to happen? Like, are they going to bench Tyrod? Like, they can't lose this game. They can't lose this Thursday night game because the season was going to go one of two ways if they lost that game. And if they lost, it was going to go in a bad direction. So what was so crazy was that when Baker came in and the game sort of just completely changed, you were almost sitting there. Like, I feel like I didn't get caught up to what was happening until the end. Like, he just kept putting drives together. And I was like, are they about to do this? Like, is this something that's really going to happen? And then... Like when they won, it was just like, I feel like it was such a, like a weight just lifted and everybody was just so like, just pure joy, man. Like it was to see, you know, there's a couple other bars around the area where I was in and it was just like, you could just hear people, man. It was like just pure joy. It was a very, uh, it was a very fun moment. And it, it really reminds you of like how much football means to people in Cleveland. It like, mm. it means probably too much, but you know, we, uh, <laughs> unhealthy amounts. An unhealthy obsession with the Browns, but uh, it was a really, it was a fun night. Tell me this. I've seen pictures of people in the streets. Were those legit pictures? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if that, so like when you leave the stadium, it kind of becomes like a bottleneck down that street. But I think people, the difference was uh, after Thursday that people just didn't want to leave. Like they just wanted to like hang out outside the stadium. So it was like everybody was just kind of chilling in the street that's like directly outside First Energy Stadium. It was just like this wave of people as far as you can see. It didn't like the stadium doesn't fit that many people. It's a big stadium. It is, but I feel like people came from their homes and bars, like from outside that weren't at the game to come down and celebrate. Yeah, there there was a New Year's Eve-ish mentality that, uh, at, at that game because, like Zerm said, the bars were all full. Everybody had a lot of confidence going into this game for whatever reason. I mean, we haven't won in 600 days, but <laughs> for some reason there was a lot of confidence. There was an excitement in the air. I think everybody had already called in sick to work on Friday morning. And so when the Browns did win, I think the combination of finally winning and finally getting off the schneid after 600 days of not winning um and your first overall pick comes in and looks like he's the next Brett Favre dude i think guys were so excited people in cleveland were so excited that all they could think about doing was going down to the stadium and celebrating with the other fans nobody wanted to go home even though it was 11:30 at night and it was a cool moment because I, there's probably not a more passionate fan base in the country than Cleveland Browns fans. And I'll say the reason why is because name another fan base in this country that if your team had not won in 600 games, 600 days, not games, 600 days, they would still sell out a stadium right. on Thursday night. Prime time. And still stay until the end of the game and celebrate like they won the Super Bowl. I like, I know in Green Bay, I grew up in Wisconsin, they had a long period of really, really bad football. And their fans still stuck around and they came to every game just the same way. Um, But I'd I'd say in recent memory, I can't think of any fan base that would be so loyal in the face of so much losing as Cleveland Browns fans. And then finally to have that payoff. I think the whole country seemed like 
it was behind the Browns in that game because they felt so much empathy for Browns fans who had stuck with their team in the face of so much crap and so much adversity. Uh, I think everyone was just happy. And there's not even really teams with that kind of uh, sample size of losing that you could even say that. So that's right. what really makes well, it true. super duper special. And we got to talk about Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, who was a friend of the Tomahawk, Mm-hmm. I, I think he's on a number of times. I think he's had the most guest appearances on the Tomahawk, <laughs> which you're probably right. is not a coincidence by the way he plays. But That's it's true. funny because, I, you know, we were a bit we're big Tyrod Taylor fans, even still. And Tyrod has had some rocky, uh, rocky games at the beginning, not playing bad. And I don't think he's played bad. Um, it's just it hasn't put us in the position to win, especially such close games. And I feel like with Tyrod's game, just by the nature of who he is and as smart as he is, he's not going to make a lot of mistakes. If you look over his career, if you look over his stats, um, I did the numbers one day. He's one of three quarterbacks with more than 50 touchdowns and less than 20 interceptions, the other two being Tom Brady and Alex Smith. Um, so he's just very smart with the football, but that also means he doesn't take as many chances. So I think when you were watching early in that game, things weren't open the, the way that he wanted them to. So, you know, sometimes he was holding on the ball. Sometimes he took some sacks. Sometimes he ran around a little bit just trying to protect the football. Um, and just the gunslinger mentality that Baker has, when he comes in, the kid takes chances. He's not afraid to to go after it. And that's something that Cleveland fans have longed for for a long time. And it's funny because some people were trying to throw it in my face. Like, see, we should have had Baker from the start. And it's like, dude, for the last 20 quarterbacks, Every time we get a new toy that is a quarterback, mm-hmm. everyone chants his name to put him in the game. Mm-hmm. And we have been wrong 19 straight times. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that Baker is the one time where they've called for him, he's come in, and he's delivered mm-hmm. mightily in prime time with everybody watching and bigger than any of us could imagine. I, I'm on the Baker train because we've always been on the Baker train. We just thought he'd be – he'd be better served developing this year, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think both you and I were kind of thinking of things from a long term, like almost as if we were NFL owners, because you know, the Tomahawk show is such a big podcast. We're making so much money that eventually we'll, we will be NFL owners. So we're already thinking ahead, like we're NFL owners. And when you're an owner, you can't just think about this game or this year. You got to think about the franchise as Mm -hmm. a collection of years put together. And I think both of us were saying the same thing. Like, look, Tyrod's a very capable quarterback that can uh, usher us through this season, and then we can see what we have at the end of the season. You'll know how Tyrod does in this system, and then you also have that number one pick. You'll be able to watch him in practice all year. You'll see how he works, and you'll have such a great idea about uh, Baker. And so you'll have a good idea of what direction the franchise is going to go in after this season. Uh, so we were thinking like, hey, long term, right? What's the best interest of Baker and this franchise long term? And you know, we've seen it a million times. All you have to do is go back to when uh, you and I first got together with the great Johnny Money Manziel. And yep. uh, I think both of us probably still have some scars from that when uh, uh, our good friend and Tomahawk Lister, Brian Hoyer, was playing and playing well, and they, and they benched him for Johnny Manziel, and it, it turned into a train wreck of a season. And so I think the scars that the franchise have from that specifically, but other rookie quarterbacks that have played throughout my tenure – um, I think that kind of left a little bit of a mark, maybe more than it should have on us, yeah. right? I mean, let, let's be PTSD. honest. 
PTSD. Let's be honest. Baker came in and he did not look like a rookie. I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a rookie come in and play the way he did with, let's be honest, he didn't get any snaps this entire regular season with the first yeah. offense. They were not giving him any snaps because they wanted to show full confidence in Tyrod, give Tyrod every opportunity for success. They didn't want Tyrod feeling like at any moment he was going to get benched. But I'm going to be totally honest. I think the reason Tyrod was playing so poorly is because he was feeling the pressure of Baker. And Tyrod is naturally a risk-averse quarterback. We know that because of the few turnovers that he had in Buffalo. And that was one of the reasons the Browns loved him. Mm-hmm. That was one of the reasons Hugh and John Dorsey really loved him in, in Buffalo. And the reason they traded a third-round pick for him is because he wasn't going to turn the ball over. And the Browns knew they were going to have a great defense. They knew they were going to add weapons at receiver and running back. And so all they wanted was a quarterback that could kind of usher them through the season that wasn't going to turn the ball over, that could make some plays with their feet, keep them close in these games, and uh, give them a chance to kind of be 500. I really think that was sort of the mentality. And uh, when Tyrod was in there, his risk aversion – I think got ratcheted to a new level because he saw Baker behind him and he knew in in his mind that even though everyone was saying, Hey, this is your team. We're not going to bench you. This is your year all the way down from the owner through the the head coach. uh, I think he knew that if things didn't go well midway through the season, he probably was going to get benched for Baker and in his mind, not going well would have been turning the ball over. So his risk aversion kind of went to a new level because he thought, Hey, if I don't throw picks, if I don't turn the ball over with fumbles, they're not going to bench me and I'm going to be able to stay on the field. So all he threw was the safe passes. He was, I don't know if you watch that game, but he was aiming his throws. I think Zerm made a great point before we got on when you're a quarterback, it's such a, uh, mental position and the sequencing in your arm needs you need to just let it rip and throw Mm -hmm. as soon as you start aiming it it's just like a golf putt or a free throw as soon as you start aiming it the sequence gets off and then you start throwing it high you start throwing it low you start under throwing you overthrowing and I think you saw that from um, Tyrod in the first half when he was playing Um, but now I guess it's Baker Mayfield's team going forward even though the Browns I don't think have officially announced it yet I don't think there's any doubt that this is Baker Mayfield's yeah. show until he's not wearing a Browns helmet anymore. If they don't name Baker Mayfield the star, they'll probably go back down to the stadium and burn it down. <laughs> that's just as to that's true, that man. might be wrong. I just it, think that's what's going to happen. It, the Baker mania is it's the real thing. Crazy. It's, now I love it. I'm I'm all on board. It's great, but I just hope that everyone's expectations aren't too high right now. Yeah. I mean. I, I'm I'm a big foodie, and there's this really famous restaurant. Nat might be able to tell us. I'm sure she eats breakfast, lunch, and dinner there. Uh, it's in the Napa area. It's called the French Laundry. It is the most exclusive restaurant in North America, I'm going to say. Rich people problems. Continue. Yeah, Rich yeah. people stories. Yeah, yeah. Rich people stories. I've never been. I'm going to be honest. But I've always wanted to go. And it's like a six-month wait. And, you know, if you go for brunch, it's like $300 tasting menu. It's outrageous, but it's really good. Nat, you got any experience at French Laundry? Well, I I mean, if you don't remember, I'm a poor person. So, no, (laughs) never never been there. (laughs) All right. The poor person that spends $7 at Starbucks every day. There's a reason you're poor at Starbucks. Anyways, the story is that they made a Baker Mayfield-themed day at French Laundry like the day after he won already it was unbelievable wow. I couldn't believe it but but anyways what I'm going to say next don't take this the wrong way Cleveland fans Baker fans 
but there's going to be some rocks along the road, right? For any rookie quarterback, you're going to go out and he played amazing. And I think he's going to continue to play amazing, but there's going to be some bumps, right? Because he's still a, re- a young rookie quarterback and he's going to go through the season. We're assuming hopefully he'll be able to start the rest of the season, no injury issues whatsoever, but teams are, are going to get a book on him, right? Especially by the end of the season, they're going to have that thick stack of notes on him and they're going to see all the things he does well. And they're going to see all the receivers he likes to hit. They're going to look at all the analytics of down and distance formation, um, personnel groupings, all those things, and they're going to put them together, and they're going to find out what he's not doing well. Like, what are his weaknesses? He hasn't showed any yet, but every rookie has weaknesses. Every player has a weakness, right? And they're going to try to exploit it. And he's going to have to go through that learning process of improving the things that he doesn't do well in order to take himself to that elite quarterback status. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue that. i wait till later in the show because I think this conversation comes up again. Great. I will also say the the thing that impressed me most about Baker is the kid went 17 for 23 and he had three passes that were clear drops. Yep. They were a little surprised. Those receivers, a little surprised the ball hit them in their hands. Not, it was like a couple of them were daggers right between the numbers. And it was like, I don't know how you fit that in right there. I didn't even expect it to be there, but yeah, man, the kid is really, really accurate. You can just tell he was waiting for his moment. Like he, He, he was soaking everything in. And again, you could also attribute to that, that to him having to chase the position because it does make mm-hmm. you a little more hungry. It does mm-hmm. give you a little more oomph in your step. And when he got in there, man, he, he was ready to come in in a big way. He wasn't trying not to make mistakes. He wasn't just trying to preserve his spot. As a, He came mm-hmm. in there to win the football oh, yeah. game, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what he did. Yeah, I talked to him on the post-game show after uh, the game was over, which was really cool, and he really impressed me with how he composed himself, right? In the, in, the, in the midst of the greatest moment of his athletic career, because now the stuff he did in college was great, but let's be honest, the NFL is a much mm-hmm. bigger stage with much, much uh, greater stakes. stakes. Thank yep. you. Couldn't think of that word. Much <laughs> greater stakes. And for him to go out there and play the way he did, I mean, let's just say 20 out of 23 because those three passes were drops by guys that shouldn't have dropped it, perfect passes. And to come in down 14-3 when you're not getting any reps during the week, it's just an amazing story, an amazing game he had. And then he sits there on the stage and he talks about how he's prepared for this moment his whole life. And he's had to fight and walk on at different schools to be able to even get the job and even get a scholarship and to succeed. And then he had to fight through the draft. He had to fight the Johnny Manziel comparisons because for some reason, short quarterbacks from Texas are all going to be compared to Johnny Manziel now if you have passion. (laughs) And he had to fight through that, and he still became the number one pick. And so he's been a fighter his whole life, and he could be sitting there on that stage gloating about how this is the end of the road. But all you could see on that stage was him deferring to his teammates how great they did. And it wasn't just me. It was my teammates, which is a lie because it was all you. Because we saw what the team looked like (laughs) before you came in there and then what all of a sudden it looked like after you were in there. So it was all you, Baker. And then, But anyways, (laughs) he he talked about – I just can't wait for the next game, right? He's already hungry for the next game and getting back and watching the film and improving. And that's the mentality you have to have. Like, unfortunately, you don't get to enjoy the success and the wins in the NFL if you want to be great. Look at Bill Belichick. Look at Tom Brady. You think they've ever smiled or enjoyed one ounce of the success they've had? No. They're like factory workers. Whether they win or lose, they punch the clock at the end of the day and they go home 
miserable. Miserable, yeah. And then come back the next day, but that's what keeps them hungry. And that's what you have to do if you want to have greatness. And Baker Mayfield has got that it. Yes, he's going to be miserable, and it is awesome for the city of Cleveland. It's great for Cleveland. (laughs) It sucks to be Baker Mayfield. Yes. uh, But you're going to get really rich. And someday. misery. We're going to the playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) Someday you'll enjoy it, baby. Nat, as as the, the newest Browns fan and a part of the Tomahawk crew. I love it. What was it like getting your first dub as a Brownie fan? Oh, my God. It was so much fun. Although I was alone at home on my couch. Um, <laughs> Sounds I was... about right. Welcome to the Browns uh, <laughs> fandom. Um, yeah. It was so much fun. Like, it was a little disappointing in the beginning. I was not not falling asleep, but, you know, just a little. It was going. Out. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, as soon as they put Baker in, I'm like, that like the whole energy changed and yes. i'm like this is so cool like you could just feel the whole fan base through the tv on twitter i was on twitter the whole time like following all these tweets even people who don't follow the browns are talking about this game like mm-hmm. apparently it was the most viewed in i don't know what the stat was but something about how yeah it was the most viewed thursday night game since i don't know when 2015 but, yeah, that's wild. But um, it was so cool just seeing that energy change and seeing them actually come back. And I was so excited. I wasn't with anyone, but I did have a beer to celebrate, you know, yes. spirit with all of you guys. 73 beer, by the way, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Poor. it was free. <laughs> it was awesome, though. I had so much fun. I'm excited to see what's to come because mm. It's, yeah. uh, it looks promising. I can't wait to see him against Oakland Raiders. That defense, that defense is not as good as the Jets. No, oh. no. Sorry, we got to give, give a major shout out to the Browns defense, which is has been the only consistent. Like, Dude, they're on fire throughout the whole season. Eleven oh. turnovers already, or yeah, eleven turnovers. They had They've thirteen all of last year. Think about that. Three games, eleven turnovers. And last we got to give Denzel Ward some love too, because that kid. I mean, for as much as people gave the Browns flack for passing up on Chubb, the D end, or the pass, the, the, the edge rusher, and going with Ward, mm-hmm. what a pick, man. Because that he does also a kid that is not playing like a rookie. He's, seen, nope. he's ready to play. He's earned his stripes. And he is a, already a leader on that defense, man. And it's very, very special to watch. Think about what he's done in the three games since he's been drafted. He covered Antonio Brown and did a great job in week one. Yeah. I think he had two interceptions. And then, I don't know, week two and week three, but I think he has had like three forced fumbles, two or three. Where's our stat, guys? Where's the stats? But either way, Denzel Ward has been killing it. Yeah, he's, he's been, been amazing. Killing it. And I think it's important to highlight one more guy before we beat the horse to death, and that's John Dorsey, right? He came in and he drafted Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward, right? Number one and number four overall. In spite of overwhelming public support for Sam Darnold and Bradley Chubb. And he said, I don't care. I'm a good evaluator. He's a player. He's a player. I want him. I want want him in the brown brown and orange. (laughs) And so he doesn't care what public opinion is, which, in my opinion, the biggest flaw GM can have is groupthink and worrying about what the public thinks, right? Groupthink is... You get in a room, and because you're the boss, everyone just kisses your ass, right? Yeah. So he gets in there, and all his scouts and everybody says, oh, John, what do you think? Oh, yeah, that's what we think. Yeah, that's a great idea. And the reason I bring that up is because when they were evaluating quarterbacks, he had his four top lieutenants all go and individually evaluate quarterbacks. Basically, this was like a secret ballot. 
where they all came up with the guy that they thought was the best that they should draft number one and they all turned it into the boss and all of them had Baker Mayfield as the best quarterback that they should draft so Mm. they got the right quarterback by their process right the process of how you do it in the draft is the most important thing then he was not afraid to go out and draft a short corner from Ohio State Denzel Ward what do you mean by short taller than Hawk how a guy is, that was how really tall is short. He was at least five nine. <laughs> is and it Denzel Ward like six foot? That's short. <laughs> is it by corner standards? I, I could know, be completely wrong. He could be. I think four he's six. Short. For all I know, he could be four six. Denzel Ward is five eleven. There you go. Short. <laughs> is that short? He could. He could. He could dunk on Hawk. That's all we could say. Okay. All right. We'll run. But with anyways, you. we'll run with your your short discrimination. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely a heightist. <laughs> You're definitely a heightist for sure. I'm a heightist. But the point remains. Everyone said draft Bradley Chubb. You could put him with Miles Garrett. You have the best D line in the NFL. He's John tall. Dorsey said, No, no, no. I'm going with Denzel Ward. <laughs> Friend of the show, John Dorsey. By the way, we're going to have him on here at some point. Obviously, he'll tell us why he's so smart and such a great GM. Look what he did in Green Bay and Kansas City. It's unbelievable that Kansas City let him go. But I guess it was a personality issue with him and Andy Reid or sort of a power struggle. I mean, Andy Reid deserves it. He's done a great job. So he, he wanted to be able to, as Bill Parcells says, shop for the groceries and cook the dinner. Yeah, that makes sense. Andy Reid has kind of earned that right. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. All right. Obviously a huge win for the Browns and all of us fans. Look, if you want to read more Browns news, head over to theathletic.com slash lowercase tomahawk. Don't spell out lowercase. You're not an idiot. Tomahawk, <laughs> all lowercase letters. It's going to be good for 40% off of a first-year subscription, and you can read so much stuff about Browns and more. Yeah, Hawk, The Athletic is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for die-hard sports fans with a simple model. No ads, no pop-ups, and no autoplay videos. Exactly. I mean, it's really cool because the readers subscribe for a more authentic in-depth analysis that's written by journalists who know all their favorite teams inside and out. So you're getting it from actually journalists who are fans of the teams that you'd love to watch. And guys, it's the firm jumping in because I too love the athletic. And like you said, Hawk, they've got access to local and national content. Um, They have more than 700 new stories published every week across all sports. Some of their national NFL writers, these are guys that they've kind of collected over the last year. You've got Mike Lombardi. He was a former GM. You've got Jay Glazer who you can see um, on Fox on Sundays. Um, he's doing his thing over there. They've got Joe, Joe Posnanski. They've got Lindsey Jones. They have a ton of NFL, uh, national NFL writers. And they also have local guys, like we mentioned. And, you know, one of, one of the people that covers the Browns really well for the athletic, he used to cover the Cavs, and now they've got him doing the Browns, is, is Jason Lloyd. And I know he had a, a final thoughts piece after this, this Browns went on Thursday night. That Joe, I know you, there was a, a piece in there that, uh, that you really enjoyed that kind of stood out to you after you read that. Well, now that I'm not planning with the team anymore, it's uh, it's kind of funny because I'm still friends with a lot of these guys and friends with the coaches and stuff, but obviously I'm not in the locker room with them every day. But I'm not sure if Jason Lloyd is actually like the 53rd man on the roster or what, but he gets like these in-depth locker room perspectives that only a player that would write, write an article like this could get. So I'm not sure how he got this uh, free-for-all for pass but somehow he is on the inside and he's getting some amazing insight, uh, specifically this last Baker Mayfield article, which even me, a guy that was standing on the sidelines that knows Baker, that 
has talked to every single player on that entire team and spent the entire spring in the locker room with those guys. I don't have the access that Jason does. So whatever he's doing is pretty amazing because uh, the first thing I did Friday morning was pull up that article because I wanted to get the dirty, dirty details of everything that was going on. And my favorite part of that article was when Jason was talking to Jim Brown. Somehow he's even got access to Jim yeah, Brown. He's dude. probably got LeBron on a text chain with Jim Brown. Uh, but Jason was talking to Jim Brown and Jim Brown was talking about how Baker Mayfield is the real deal. And he's got this twinkle in his eye and coming from the legend himself. I thought that was pretty impressive because throughout my career, Jim is not a guy that just gives out praise like that. I remember my, my fifth year or so, um, he was talking about Trent Richardson and he made a pretty big stink. I mean, Trent was like the stud coming out of the draft Browns picked third overall. And he said something like, I don't see really anything special from Trent Richardson. Well, it turned out to be right, but it was a big stink <laughs> at the time. And so you can see Jim Brown doesn't just throw compliments out there uh, willy-nilly. And for him to say the things he did about Baker in that athletic article was pretty amazing. And I actually got to spend the night after the game with Jim. We were hanging out in Ohio City, both looking for some grub late night after we had uh, that amazing win against the Jets. And I sat next to Jim for about two hours. We were talking Browns. We were talking Baker. We were talking life. It was one of those really special moments that I'll never forget. Spending that night with, with Jim and talking Browns and how optimistic he is about the team and the future was, uh, was really cool. And actually, Jim's wife, Monique, took a pretty cool picture of us, sent it to me. I put it up on my uh, Twitter handle at JoeThomas73. And I'll never want to forget the, the Browns win and then celebrating it with Jim Brown. And then reading the athletic article the next morning. Exactly. And it's definitely worth checking out Jason Lloyd's column over at The Athletic. Again, you can get 40% off using our code at theathletic.com slash tomahawk, all lowercase. Uh, what else we got, Zerm? I think it's time to head into some am I tripping or not? Yeah, it is time for our favorite uh, weekly segment that oh, we love can't wait to for call. this one. Am I tripping? Um, I miss Joe. Joe, every episode I need you to say, am I tripping at least once? Because I just really enjoy hearing. Am I tripping or not? (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Beautiful. All right, guys. First one. And Joe, I know this is a subject that is very close to your heart. Guys, am I tripping or is this new roughing the passer call hurting the NFL infinitely more than anything people say hurt the NFL, like protests or or anything in that nature? Is, Is this roughing the passer stuff getting out of hand? Absolutely. I watch, and I'm a receiver. Joe, you will attest to this. I could care less about repping the passer calls. I could care less what happens to anybody who identifies as a lineman or things that are too rough. I actually wish we would all put flags on because then I probably would be able to make a comeback and make a couple more million dollars without anybody knowing it. Um, but even as I, even with all that information, when I watch Clay Matthews get his third roughing the passer call. <laughs> Three games. Oh. And each one of them, I can't even figure out what the rough part is. <laughs> I I completely agree. This is going to hurt the NFL more than anything else. They're trying to do too much too fast. I'm all for making the game safer. But this categorically identifies to me as dumb. And they got to figure it out because it, the, what they're asking him to do is impossible. And I'm sure you're going to expound on it. But these are physical specimens. There's no way that he can execute what they want him to and, and, and this still be called football. 
The reason this is the most damaging thing the NFL has done in recent memory is because people are reaching a tipping point where they're just tired. They're fatigued. They're getting roughing the passer fatigue because they just cannot wrap their brains around how the NFL can continue to come out and say, this was the right call. We didn't screw it up because everybody that's watched football from the time they were little until right now understands that Clay Matthews cannot do anything differently to tackle that quarterback in the position that he has been in the last two weeks. And the NFL is saying that that's a penalty. And that's a big problem because when people reach the apathetic stage, that's when they turn it off. And they're reaching it right now. And I haven't seen that with any of these other issues. A lot lot of these other issues that have come up in the last few years, even going back to the catch rule, I think people were confused. They were mad about it but they didn't become apathetic. I'm seeing a lot of apathy where people are just saying, I've had enough. Yeah. I, I, I can't stand it because the NFL is so out of touch with the common fan and the players and the coaches. There's basically nobody on the NFL side when it comes to this roughing the passer stuff. There's nobody that can even explain it. And right now, that's dangerous. That's dangerous for the game. That's dangerous for the shield. You know, they always talk about protecting the shield and how important it is with their brand, which is true, but they need to do something immediately because they can't keep screwing this up because this is this is truly changing and ruining the game. You know what? I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I agree with everything you said, but the devil's advocate part is, you know what? I don't think everybody does disagree with the league, and here's why. Really? I haven't As heard man, one person. You Will you say it'll be hard for you to argue against that through three weeks, the NFL is more exciting than we've seen in a long time. Is that true or false? It's true, and I agree. Well, here, the here, NFL is great. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Here, here, let me I didn't mean to cut you off. So if you agree that the NFL is more exciting than it has been, I think a big reason for that is because the quarterback play has been a lot better than it has been in some time. Now, week two, I want to say over the entire NFL – quarterback's average QB rating was 105, had an average quarterback rating of 105. For context, Aaron Rodgers' career quarterback rating is a 103. Now, what that means is this. Because defenders are so conscious of getting rough in the pass or penalties and falling on guys, and they're skewing all these rules to cater to quarterbacks, it, 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 I, I feel like at the end of the season, we're going to look back and say, man, that actually did raise the quarterback play because they had more time to throw. You know, they're breaking more tackles. They're, they're playing better because the rules are protecting them and thus making the game more exciting. So if I'm playing devil's advocate, the argument would be that we can't on one side say, hey, you're changing the rules, and then we all soak up when we in love when guys like Mahomes, guys like all Josh Allen goes in and beats the Vikings 27-6. to six. Because these guys are getting more time to throw and the, and the rules are catering towards the quarterback, which is in turn raising the quarterback level to play. Mm. I'm glad I don't have to listen to that rant anymore because that is so <laughs> wrong. No. All right. Seriously, the vast majority of people are pro protecting the quarterback. Nobody wants to see Aaron Rodgers get hurt and be out. Everybody tunes in to watch the Packers because they want to see Aaron Rodgers and his magic that he comes up with every single week. So I think you're wrong with the fact that people don't want to protect the quarterbacks. They do. Even defensive players want to protect the quarterbacks. Do you think Clay Matthews was happy that Aaron Rodgers was out all last year and the team sucked when he was gone? No. 
nobody wants to see Aaron Rodgers as backup. But I don't think that the rule about landing on the quarterback has affected the way players play at this point to change the outcome of any game statistically even. I don't think that that roughing the passer rule has changed the way the, the defensive players are hitting the quarterback. They're I getting do. All penalties for it. Now, I will say that the protections as a whole around the quarterback, right, the slides and the hits and the head and the hits low and stuff like that, that has changed how you hit the quarterbacks. And my example is this. When I was watching the Saints and Falcons game, right, two Falcons defenders were closing in on Drew Brees, almost 40-year-old Drew Brees on about the five-yard line. Two young, hungry, athletic defensive backs who aren't going to get shook one-on-one versus Barry Sanders, these two guys. And Drew Brees comes in and hits him with the slowest spin move in the history of football and somehow makes both of them miss and jumps into the end zone for a touchdown. So what I saw when I watched that play was two defenders that were really cautious when they were going to hit the quarterback. Yes. And, and I, but I don't think that's because of the landing on the quarterback with the weight. I think that's because of the slide rule and how the NFL enforces it, which I'm not a big fan of anyway. I think the slide rule was originally invented so that the quarterback can get down clearly before he's put himself in harm's way at all. What I hate is when the quarterback runs right up to a defender and then slides right into him. And as the player is already starting to try to tackle him, they get a penalty because they hit him in the head or hit him somewhere else. But anyways, the whole protection of the quarterbacks, I think, has led players to be more cautious towards the quarterback in those situations when they're trying to hit him. And then you see things like Drew Brees spin moving on the, the goal line and scoring touchdowns. But I think they can still eliminate this ridiculous penalty of landing on the quarterback with your body because everybody with eyeballs can see the difference between tackling a quarterback and then lifting him up and suplexing him into the ground, which is the original intent of the rule. Right. But I, I, I'm not saying specifically the landing on the quarterback. Yes, that's okay. the one we're talking about, but I'm talking yep. about the rules overall. The game right. has changed so much. You can never hit a quarterback, so you can't hit him when he slides. Yep. You can't hit him when he's going out of bounds. You can't hit him low. I watched a play where Aaron Donald was, came off low of the ball, got under the O-line, and he was, like, falling down, and he went to hit the quarterback, sacked him in the knees. Mm-hmm. But because he hit him in the knees, it was a 15-yard pivot. Yeah. You can't oh. follow through with him. You can't push yep. him to the ground. Like, there's so many things around it where you can't touch yep. him. And it is changing the way quarterbacks are playing because Drew Brees is doing spin moves for rushing. <laughs> like he's Michael Vick, which is ridiculous. But again, no, I, we're beating this dead horse per usual. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. I just think they need to tweak the rule because the landing on the quarterback with your weight is not an, a correct interpretation and not a correct way to protect the quarterback. Next I, question. I think they hate Clay Matthews. Next question, sir. <laughs> yeah, I think this is really just a larger conspiracy against Clay Matthews. Yes. Um, all right, guys. Am I tripping or did Kirk Cousins just kind of turn back into a pumpkin after the Vikings <laughs> got smashed by the Buffalo Bills at home 27-6 to 6 yesterday? What was going on? Wow, they look like they sucked, to be honest. Uh, in Buffalo, that was like, wasn't that your lock of the week, Joe? I feel like that's everybody's lock of the week. Hey, man, we forgot about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I feel like that was everyone's We're not talking about that today. Yeah, they ran the ball as an offense. The Vikings ran the ball a total of six times, four mm. times to running back. So I think Kirk mm. ran twice. So they called four <laughs> design runs to running backs in an NFL football game. Yeah, Mike Zimmer, defensive head coach. Defensive head coaches always love running the football because it helps their defense out. It gives them a break so they don't have as many snaps. They don't have to be on the field as long. They get longer rest in between drives. 
And uh, he's not going to be real happy with John DiFilippo on a, a Monday morning when they no. review what happened in that game. Obviously, Kirk Cousins was uh, not very good, and the whole Vikings team laid an egg. But I got a question here. How does one throw 40 passes like Kirk Cousins did in the game and not have 300 yards passing? 40 completions. 40, not thrown 40 passes, 40 completions. He threw and he 55 passes. That's amazing. That's an amazing stat. You're right. Just Mike think about that. not going to be happy about that. That was the least that. amount of uh, run attempts in the, the Super Bowl era, which that's, that's kind of De- Filippo's offense. When we were in Cleveland, that was one thing that I would always hear the O-line griping about. We throw the ball too much, which is like you said, you hate because – the D-line just gets to pin their ears back and chase the quarterbacks and makes your job really hard. We can't sustain drives. The defense hates it. So they got to find some balance, man. And it was glaring, especially yeah. against the Buffalo Bills who aren't any. Yeah. You know, I, I'll say real quickly that sometimes the problem when you have an offensive coordinator that has aspirations to be a head coach, which I believe John Filippo has those head coaching aspirations, Yeah, they want to showcase what they think will get them head coaching jobs. And running the football is not one of those things. If you're if you're running for 100 yards every week, but you have 150 yards passing, there's no owner in the NFL that's going to hire you, right? Right. If you're throwing for 350 yards, you're throwing 40, 50 times a game. That gets you noticed. Teams yeah. start talking about the great offense that you have. Owners get pretty excited about the uh, the Mike Martz type. What do they call it? The greatest show on turf. The Star Wars. The passing concepts. So that's what gets you jobs as an offensive coordinator. And uh, sometimes you get a little too obsessed with that, and that may be what's happening in Minnesota. Agreed. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh. That is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com slash smart for details. Firm, what we got next? All right, next up, a Nat, cover your ears for this one. But guys, am I tripping or should the 49ers just go ahead and cancel the season after what we think What we think is a season-ending injury mm. to Jimmy Garoppolo? Why yesterday? wouldn't he just run out of bounds? It made me so sad to watch that. Now they have to trade for Le'Veon Bell because they have nobody else. We've seen the experience of uh, Bethard, the Bethard experience. Mm, not good. They, they, they honestly haven't even looked that good with Garoppolo. So now that they lose him, they are, they are really – I'd hate to be a 49ers fan. Joe, your take. They're in a lot of, they're in a lot of trouble. Uh, Jimmy G, classic, young, inexperienced player that the toughness has become larger than the brain. In his mind, for some reason, taking one more step and trying to truck that DB was going to get him some type of street cred that he didn't need, and it led him to tear his ACL, we think, which was clearly a poor choice. We can assure all 49ers fans that he won't be doing that anymore in his career because I'm pretty sure that losing this season is going to make him a little bit smarter. But I've got real concerns about Jimmy G and his injury ability. Okay. Ability, to, ability to avoid injury. You love that take. You, that is the gas meter and your ability to avoid injury. I'm gassing it up right now. Your two I mean, think guys. about when he was in New England, he played like, what, two games, and then he hurt his shoulder? 
Mm-hmm. And then Jacoby Brissett came in. I don't even know what the stat was, but he got hurt, hurt his shoulder, right? And then yep. he played six games in um, San Francisco last year, did well. Now all of a sudden he's tearing his ACL. Jimmy G's a small quarterback. He's very mobile. He can run, but he's small. Yeah. And he needs to learn how to kind of protect himself. He's going to have to go to his, uh, the Tom Brady school of voodoo and start working on suppling up his muscles, stop lifting weights, start eating avocado ice cream, and stop getting hurt. Nat, on a scale from one to 10, how sad are you today? Um, I'm 10 being sad. I'm at like a 11. 11. <laughs> a lot of beer drinking for you. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, we were so excited. Although you said you hit it right on the head. Like, it's not like we were looking great or anything, but that was like our hope right there and just watching yeah. it get crushed in front of our eyes sucks it's like now what <laughs> hopefully us bringing you onto the tomahawk has shifted the fortunes of browns fans and 49er fans <laughs> and now you take all the misery and we take all the, the super bowl but now i have another team to watch and look go. forward to that is looking good so exactly there you go what we got next there all right, guys, um, am I tripping or does something still feel a little bit off with Andrew Luck this season? Yeah, I think with as off as his shoulder is off of his body because he doesn't look like he can throw down the field. The, the most telling thing for me was at the end of the game, they needed a how Mary. They got down to like their own 45-yard line, and they brought in Jacoby Brissett to throw the ball to the end zone basically saying that Andrew Luck can't get it there. So we got to put the backup in. And that that told me everything I needed to know about Andrew Luck and the status of his shoulder. If I'm a Colts fan, I'm really concerned right now. That whole game, I watched the whole game because the Browns weren't on at that time. And Andrew Luck looked like he was shot putting passes all over that field. And now he, he doesn't have a very natural like Tom Brady throwing motion. Um, he's always kind of been like a muscly quarterback with, with not great mobility, but he looks even worse than usual. And most of his throws that were completed or that were pass interference were kind of underthrown back shoulder type throws where the receiver just runs into the DB that's in trail mode. And there was a number of times where he just skipped it into the receiver. He underthrew receivers. He just didn't look good. Even before being pulled out for that Hail Mary, I was saying to my wife when I was watching the game that Andrew Luck just his shoulder looks like it's weak and and sore right now. And I think, you know, let's be honest though, it's probably natural coming off of a huge layoff, not throwing for so long and then playing two games in a row. That soreness is going to build up because typically during your rehab and as he was going through training camp, he probably threw a couple days and then he would get these long layoffs to let the shoulder recover and and heal. And he's not getting that right now because he's got to play every week and he's got to go out and throw and and practice during the week. So I think right now, week three, that that soreness and that fatigue is just kind of built up. And it'll be interesting to see what they do in the next couple of weeks if they give him a week off to kind of rest and try to get that shoulder healed back up or uh, if they're going to try to let him go the whole season and if the traje- the trajectory of his play just continues to go down. Yep. I think Wentz even looked better than him. In, the, in a game where two guys were battling coming from injury, I get that Andrew Lux was a little bit more severe and he had longer yeah. time off. But even Wentz, who didn't even play incredible, he just looked like the better quarterback that day. Firm, what else we got? All right, guys, final one of the day. Um, Am I tripping, or are the Seattle Seahawks kind of back? And also, side note on that, uh, Dallas Cowboys, 13 points. Things are not going super well for America's team. Yeah, I think you are tripping. I'm not 
bought into the Seahawks just yet. I love Russell Wilson. I think he's a better quarterback that people give him credit for, but he does not have any weapons. And I watched uh, angry Doug Baldwin on the sideline going off on the offensive coordinator. (laughs) They did not – there's just nothing about the weapons that Russell Wilson has that is anything to write home about. So I think they beat the Cowboys, but I think it says more about the Cowboys. And I stole this take from my guy Kaz on Twitter. But he called Dak Prescott the black Mark Sanchez. (laughs) He's like, you know what? There's a lot of hype around this dude, but I just don't see it. Firm has the stat in here that Prescott has thrown for under 200 yards in five straight games, which is the longest streak by a a Cowboys QB since Quincy Carter. Who? Yes, Quincy Carter. Ouch, that hurts. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely tripping. I am not a Seattle Seahawks fan right now. I think Russell Wilson's good. I don't think really anybody else on that team you can say is is a great player right now. I mean, they still got Earl Thomas, Doug Baldwin. They've got a, a couple guys that are good. But uh, overall, that team just has so many holes. They're very inexperienced across the board. And just because they beat the Cowboys, I'm not jumping on that bandwagon. No weapons on offense. A defense that's just average. And uh, they're going to struggle the rest of the year, even though they beat the, the, the Cowboys. But the Cowboys, man, what the heck? They got nothing. And I think that's a yeah. big reason why Dak is not playing well right now because he just got nobody to throw to, right? You lose yep. Witt, lose Des Bryant. You got no weapons. I mean, this offensive line is blocking all day for Dak. He's standing back there all day. He's got all the time in the world to throw the ball, and nobody's getting open. He's got nowhere to go with it. And then I think that has kind of thrown him out of a rhythm, and uh, he just looks, like you mentioned, black Mark Sanchez. Great year one, two, three, four, who knows? Not so hot. Yeah, and uh, you, you know, if you don't have the weapons, even if you don't have the threat of weapons, it changes what a quarterback looks like. And Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, last night, his receivers could not get open. He's taking, mm-hmm. he's scrambling back there for seven <laughs> seconds, and he can't find an open receiver, Tom Brady. So that mm-hmm. tells you how important it is to have weapons and put people around him. All right, guys, that has been another rousing edition of Am I Tripping? Thank you for participating. It is now time for both of you guys to give us your studs of the week. Joe, let's start with you, Joe. Who was your Tomahawk stud of week three? My Tomahawk stud for week three was none other than a guy that didn't even start the game, right? Mm -hmm. Quarterback, Marcus Mariota. Now, he didn't have a great game statistically or anything like that, but they were able to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 9-6, to and Blaine Gabbert, the starting quarterback, gets hurt, has to go out of the game. Marcus Mariota, a guy that's not even healthy enough to hardly hold on to the football, much less go in the game, is able to find a way to win, and he leads his team to victory, which I feel like has kind of become Marcus Mariota's M.O., right? He's a guy that really doesn't put up great stats. He's not standing back in the pocket like Tom Brady and dissecting defenses, but he just seems to will his team to victory, and I got to make him my stud of the week because of the grit that he's playing with with that injury, coming in as the backup quarterback and leading his team to victory in a game that they were a big underdog against the Jaguars. Love it. Am I allowed to to pick two studs of the week? Sure. All it's right. our podcast. It's our podcast. We can do what the hell we want. All right. My first set of the week goes to Adrian Peterson. Mm. Rush for – hold on. Let me pull up the stats here. Research. It was like 120, something like that. Yeah, it was like 120 yards. A guy who was out of the league. I hate how the league basically, basically determines when you get to stay and when you get to go, like when your career is over. Because he's a guy – you can't tell me he's not one of the top 150 running backs in the world. So, for him not to have a job before this is ridiculous. So, Adrian Peterson, one of my first 
players of the week. My next stud of the week goes to another running back. Shout out to the running backs, Carrion Johnson in Detroit, who rushed for 100 yards against mm-hmm. the Patriots and ended a five-year drought for the Lions of not having a 100-yard rusher. Their last 100-yard rusher was Reggie Bush on Thanksgiving of 2013. <laughs> Carrion Johnson was like 15 at that time. How about that? So there you that's go. Good that's my studs of the week. All right, Tama Flock. I think that's about all we got for today. Make sure you tune in on Thursday for another great edition of the Tomahawk Show. Tweet at us using hashtag Tomahawk, T-H-O-M-A, Hawk. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Tomahawk Show for some fire-ass memes. Yes. That guy that is in charge of that is doing awesome work. Uh, and then make sure you guys check out our listener league, right? DraftKings.com. Mm-hmm. Go code word hike. You can go see how I'm kicking everybody's ass, and I am easily the greatest DraftKings GM that that DraftKings league has ever seen. And of course, as always, make sure to subscribe and rate us five stars on whatever platform you listen to us. Go ahead, Hawk. What are your final thoughts? Final thoughts are I suck at fantasy. We'll get into the results next episode, but I keep getting my butt kicked, which is fine because I'm a I'm a resilient guy and I will bounce back much like 49er fans will as well. So that's it for me. Natalie, Natty Ice, take us out. Joe Hawk yourself. That wasn't quite the same Joe Hawk yourself as before Garoppolo was hurt. I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, fair point. Yeah.